Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. When you were starting out, did you have a mentor? We're going to find out today what mentoring involves, how to become a mentor, and where you can find mentoring opportunities right here in our area. The supporters of Camp Archbald are getting ready for another great camping season. And we're going to find out about all the activities planned for Camp Archbald this summer. And if you're planning on going, better hurry up. The spots are filling fast. The scammers, they're out there. And today we're going to talk with two different organizations who are in the fight against them. One of them, the Federal Trade Commission. We're going to find out how consumers can spot and protect themselves from payment fraud. And tax filing season is underway. The scammers are not only trying to steal your refund, but your identity and personal information as well. IRS Criminal Investigations Special Agent in Charge, Yuri Crudy, from the Philadelphia Field Office joins us. He knows what the scammers are looking for, and he has the tips on how you can protect yourself. Well, I think the, one of the biggest questions we get is, uh, what is the IRS criminal investigations and what do they do? And so I guess I can start with that first. So we are the law enforcement part of the Internal Revenue Service. As you know, the Internal Revenue Service is a really big agency within the U.S. government, and we're responsible for the taxes that come in. And so the very small portion of that IRS, and the, it's, it's the criminal investigation arm, is the IRS criminal investigation. So we conduct financial crime investigations, including tax fraud, narcotics trafficking, money laundering, public corruption, health care fraud, identity theft, and a lot more. And so we are the only federal law enforcement agency that's actually allowed to investigate violations of the Internal Revenue Code. That must be a very daunting task. Where do we start with all of this? I mean, here we are, we're in the midst of tax season, and you mentioned tax preparers. Maybe we should start there. Yeah, so one of the things we recommend, especially this time of the year where everybody's trying to get their tax documents together and, and prepare to file their tax returns, is making sure that you, you find the right tax return preparer, somebody that's professional, somebody that has a preparer tax identification number. This is somebody, everybody who files tax returns on behalf of their clients has to have a prepared tax identification number, something we call P10, in order to prepare tax returns for individuals. So this is something that individuals can ask to see before they go to somebody. 
You should also look for somebody that's open all year round, not somebody that opens up for a couple months, files returns, and then doesn't do anything else. They should try to get somebody who's hopefully a CPA, certified public accountant, who's certified to do accounting. So, you know, there's a lot of things that people should do. They should do research about who they're going to. They shouldn't um, try to find somebody that's just going to promise them huge refunds while everybody else is telling them they're going to get something else. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And then one of the biggest things is that the individuals in whose name their returns are prepared, they're the ones that are responsible for the returns because it's their name and their signature. So if somebody else prepares it and they put a lot of fraudulent information and IRS either through an audit or through other ways find out that it's fraudulent, it, the person whose return is filed, that's their responsibility. So that's why they have to be very careful about what goes on their tax return. They have to make sure that, you know, that they sign it, that the return preparer signs it. So these are just a couple little things that they should do in order to make sure that they that their tax return gets filed properly. We're talking about the idea of having a tax return filed. And when you take your information to someone, a lot of people are understandably in this day standoffish about giving information. So is there any way that they can be sure that the information that they're giving is secure when you're sitting face to face with someone? It's a very good point to ask. So one of the things we recommend is do not provide your information via text or emails. Um, if, if you go to a return preparer, hopefully you're going to somebody that, that has a, a business, that the business is, again, opened all year round. And, you know, some of the big ones that come to mind is, you know, like H&R Block. They have physical locations that you can walk into and uh, you can see it. Yes, this is a tax return preparation place. And there's many other ones like that. And so those are reputable organizations. So, but if somebody sends you a text message or an email asking for your personal information to be used for anything, be it taxes or anything else, please, please do not provide that information. We're seeing a lot of fraud with individuals contacting taxpayers and asking them for their personal identifiable information. And they use that to, to prepare false tax returns or other things. And unfortunately, sometimes people trust that. And, and a lot of the time it's called phishing scams when people email you or text you to get your uh, personal information. And uh, that's what we recommend. Do not provide that information. IRS is not going to call you and ask for that information. Only do it face to face and uh, only do it to people that you trust and you verify that they are a legitimate return preparer. Special Agent Crudy, I know that recently here in the Scranton area, we had someone who was a tax preparer and had all of the correct information. I'm assuming that people went to this person and still got ripped off. No matter where you go or no matter how careful you are, somebody always falls through the cracks. And, and unfortunately, this case is a little bit unique because uh, this individual, what they did was they, they prepared tax returns and then they showed a proper tax return to the client where everything was accurate. And then after the client left, they actually changed the information and filed a wrong tax return with the IRS. And they kept like, actually a significant portion of the refunds. I believe it's over $250,000. So again, what we recommend is make sure when you're signing your tax returns that those go directly into your bank account. Do not allow somebody else to collect your, your refund and then pay you the difference. And this individual also, in other cases, what they would do is they would collect the money that the individuals owed and assure them they would pay it to the IRS. Once again, we would recommend that you send the check yourself 
and you make it out to the IRS. They'll not make it out to any individuals other than the IRS. And so that's one of the biggest things is when somebody is offering you, does your taxes and it does look professional, make sure you sign it and make sure your bank account information is on those tax returns. Because in some cases, as it happened in this case, this individual changed the tax returns after they were already prepared and filed them and then instructed the IRS to pay the money into his account and he refunded the money back to the individuals um, with the wrong amounts. So, and again, these are the red flags that we look for is as soon as somebody tells you that you're not going to get the refund yourself, it's going to go to somebody else. Do not allow them to file your tax return. A lot of people will go and they'll, of course, you know, we all want to save a little bit of money here and there, and they'll look at the cost of what someone is going to be charging. Again, is that any kind of a red flag? Because I know you said as far as getting exorbitant refunds back, but what about as far as paying for tax returns to be done? Absolutely. That is a very good question. So one of the biggest red flags is if you go to any tax return preparer and they tell you that it's going to cost you between, let's say, 50 to 100 to 150 dollars to prepare a standard tax return. And you go to a return preparer that tells you they're going to charge you a thousand dollars to prepare the same tax return, but you're going to get a significant larger uh, amount as a refund. That's one of the biggest red flags that we see. Usually um, when we see people promising huge refunds, but also charging huge amounts of fees for those refunds, that is a very big red flag because we would definitely recommend trying to go somewhere else and seeing, you know, what your refund would be. But again, if somebody asks you to pay a significant amount of money, which we're seeing a lot of these people that provide fraudulent information, they're charging enormous fees in order to prepare people's tax returns. I know many people say, I don't have to go to an accountant, a CPA. I don't have to worry about that because now I can do everything online. So where does all that now go when it comes to being smart and safe? And again, as I mentioned earlier, there, there's some really big companies online that all they do is, is taxes. And you can go to stores and buy gift cards to, to be able to, to, to purchase these, these services. So TurboTax, for example, um, there's, there's a whole listing of them. You can go to irs.gov and uh, there's a listing where you can e-file. And again, a lot of people, including myself, I do my own taxes. I go online, and especially if somebody has a, a simple return, if they have a you know a job and, and they get a W-2, a lot of times people can do that themselves. They can go to irs.gov, and in some cases they can prepare it you know, through irs.gov, but irs.gov is also going to provide various websites that are verified that they can use to electronically file their tax returns. And all they do is input their personal information through, the, you know, through one of the links that irs.gov provides, and uh, a, a return gets prepared and it can, it can be e-filed, electronically filed through that website. But again, it should be a reputable website. It should not be somebody that texted you um, asking you for your information to prepare it. You should be the one going, especially through irs.gov. There's a lot of information on that website. And uh, you can find websites there that are trusted, that are registered with the IRS, and the returns could be filed through them. Sometimes people, again, they're always concerned about getting scammed. And here it is, it's tax season, and people are now waiting for their returns to come back. And are there things that we should be watching out for as far as a refund, hopefully, if we're getting one coming back? One of the easiest ways to file is electronically. So the tax return gets filed electronically. Usually the, the refund, if the person is supposed to get a refund, it gets issued pretty, pretty fast, hopefully within a few weeks. Now, if somebody files a paper return, that takes a little bit longer to process. So it just depends 
how they file their tax returns. It just depends on how busy, how busy it is at that time of the year. All right, let's switch it around now. You owe the government. And I know the um, state, the Pennsylvania Department of Revenue, had sent out a notification not too long ago about um, phony letters that people have been receiving that say final demand for payment. And again, just like emails, these look real. So what happens in that situation? Same thing here. Do not trust those types of things. One of the biggest things I recommend, if you do receive a letter, especially a letter from the IRS that says, like you mentioned, final demand, usually at the federal buildings, I know there's one in Philadelphia, there's one in Pittsburgh, in Scranton, I believe there's one as well. But you can, number one, call the 1-800 number for the IRS, but you can also go to the tax advocate center. They provide support for taxpayers to come in and they can ask any questions that they have to verify that. So one way is to call the 1-800 number for the IRS to verify that this is something that's happening. And again, another way is to walk in to the Taxpayer Advocate Center at many of the federal buildings. And again, you can probably get a listing of them through irs.gov and go there and say, hey, here's a letter that I received. They'll verify your identity and they'll say, hey, is this legit or is this something that, that is not legit? Because unfortunately, many people get scared when they get those threats. I've gotten phone calls, people claiming to be um, the IRS, unfortunately, it happens. It's, it's good that people are hearing about it, and that means they, sh- they should be more protective of that kind of information. The IRS will never ask you to use a prepaid debit card to pay your taxes. IRS is not going to call you and take a payment over the telephone. It's something that you have to call the 800 number for the IRS or walk into a taxpayer advocate center and explain to them what you've gotten, and they can walk you through if you do actually owe any money on how to make those payments to the IRS properly. And one of the things I found interesting by the Department of Revenue information was getting a letter that says state of Pennsylvania rather than Commonwealth. That might sneak through for a lot of people. Yes. I'm, I'm fortunate I'm not familiar with the state of Pennsylvania, but I'm definitely familiar with uh, the IRS notifications that people receive of, of people claiming to be uh, IRS employees, including criminal investigation employees as well. We've talked about it. Many of us have heard it before. We try to get the word out, but unfortunately, somebody always ends up being a victim. And embarrassment is probably one of the biggest things that say that people will say, oh, I can't tell anybody. But what should you do if you find out that something got past you and now you're a victim? So one of the first steps I would recommend is going through irs.gov. And there's going to be information there where you can file forms explaining to exactly what happened. There's a form 3949. It's an information referral that can be also filled out and submitted to the IRS. And also, if especially if it's identity theft, if somebody went through and, and stole your identity, filed tax return in your name, and as a result, either you owe money or, or there's other things happening to you. And one of the first things we also recommend is to go to the local police department and file a police report so that you document it as soon as you found out that you were a victim that you have a police report showing that you immediately went to the authorities and reported it. Being embarrassed should not be a part of the equation, I'm guessing. Absolutely not. There's a lot of victims, unfortunately, out there. And, you know, people read about this in in the news all the time. It happens more often than than it should. The, The sooner people can admit it, the sooner people can take the appropriate steps, the quicker they can fix it and make sure it doesn't happen to them again. What happens when someone files their tax return, and then realizes, I made a mistake. Now what am I going to do? And that happens, believe it or not, they happens all the time. A lot of times 
Um, there's companies that, like for example, banks that submit a, a an interest form a little bit later than they than they um, originally people expected, and people realize, oh my God, I forgot to include this in my taxes. It happens. IRS has something called an amended tax return, and all they do is file an amended tax return where they they fix the the error that was made. And that is all. It's a very easy process. And again, if you use a rep- reputable return preparer, they know exactly what to do and, and how to do it. How would you do that online if you use one of the online services? Unfortunately, with the online services, usually the amended tax returns, they have to be done by paper. Those are paper returns. Um, but once again, if you use online services, you can call the company that you use. All of them normally have 1-800 numbers and you can reach out to them and explain to them this is what happened and they will walk you through how, how to file and amend the tax return. And so signatures are very important, correct? Signatures are very important, but also using reputable return preparers is also as important, if not more important. So signatures, if you file an electronic tax return that gets filed electronically, there's no physical signature. But if you do go to a physical location and somebody asks you to, to sign a return, make sure you review it before you sign it, make sure everything looks accurate, and also make sure that the return preparer who prepared your return signs it as well as the return preparer so that if there's any questions, the IRS does know that they can reach out to this individual and find out that, yes, they're the ones that prepared it. And if there's any questions through an audit or anything else, they'll know who to reach out to regarding that audit. Let's go back just a little bit to the case that we mentioned that was involving the folks in the Scranton area. Here you have someone and how would you go about telling anybody about, I think this person may have done this? Would they go right to you or how would that work? So they can go to, again, as I mentioned, to irs.gov and and fill out the form 3949. Um, they can walk into a local IRS office and, and tell them that they feel they that they may have been a victim of a crime. They can go to a police department and file a police report stating that they were a victim of a crime. Um, they can go to a local IRS criminal investigations office and do a walk-in and explain to them what happened. So there's a lot of options they can do if they find out that somebody took advantage of, of them and their financial or personal information. Special Agent Curdy, you have given us amazing information here today. But just if you could give our audience a overview of everything that you would like them to know as we go through this tax season and beyond. Just a couple things to to keep in mind for this filing season. So number one, choose the tax return preparer wisely. Look for preparers who are available year round. Ask your tax preparer for their prepared tax identification number, which is the PTIN number that I mentioned. All paid preparers are required to have this number. Don't use ghost preparers. These are individuals who will not sign a tax return that they prepare for you. That's usually, as I mentioned, a big clue that something's not right. If somebody prepared it um, as, as your tax return preparer and they received the fee for it, they should be signing it so that if there's any, any, ever any questions, the IRS can come back and ask them questions about that tax return. So don't fall victim to tax return preparers, promises of larger refunds. Again, as I mentioned, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. All taxpayers must pay their shares of taxes. And again, do not sign blank tax returns. Make sure that whatever you're signing, it's your name on it, it's your personal tax return, you're the one that's ultimately responsible for it. After somebody prepares it, after you've had a chance to review it, only then should you be signing it. As I mentioned again, One of the most important things, make sure, especially in the case that we discussed, this criminal case um, in this grant area, make sure you're the one receiving your refund. Your refund should be deposited in your bank account only and not your tax return preparer's account. So I guess those are the most important things that I have. The IRS.gov, all the information is through through IRS.gov. Anything that you think we've left out? 
one of the biggest things I want to say is that uh, we're hiring a lot right now. So through usajobs.gov, I mean, as you've heard, hopefully in the news that IRS is getting a, a big increase in funding over the next few years. So IRS is going to be hiring not only for the special agent position that I do, but also a lot of the positions within IRS civil. So we have revenue agents, revenue officers, we have uh, taxpayer advocates. We have a lot of different positions within the IRS that we're hiring for right now. And again, you can access all those positions through usajobs.gov and you can apply directly through that website. Thanks once again to IRS Criminal Investigations Special Agent in Charge, Yuri Crudy from the Philadelphia Field Office with all those great tips. But we're not done yet. The Federal Trade Commission's Elizabeth Kwok joins us. She is the Assistant Director in the Division of Litigation Technology and Analysis and tells us how you can spot and protect yourself from payment fraud. Liz, we're going to talk about all kinds of things, and we hear so many things about scammers. And one of the things we hear them trying to do is, you know, take our money. So they can do that just by us trying to do what we're supposed to do, and that's pay things? How does that work? That's right. So I think a really common scam, and as a matter of fact, in um, 2022 in Pennsylvania, um, the number one reported fraud to the FTC was imposter scams. So people calling you or messaging you on Facebook, Instagram, sending you an email maybe, pretending to be somebody else, for example, the IRS or your bank. Um, And as you said, they'll make it seem like there's something urgent that you need to take care of or a problem or in some instances that you've won a prize, but that in order to fix the problem or collect your prize, you need to make a particular payment. These should all be red flags because it was an unexpected message. You know, you you had no idea, you know, you had a bank account at this place or a credit card open with this company um, or you haven't even filed your taxes yet. So just the very first fact of it being an unexpected message should cause you to be kind of on guard, ready to do a little bit of your own research. And yeah, and then they'll typically demand money through a wire or a gift card sometimes, maybe using a mobile payment method. And these are all just tactics to get you separated from your money as quickly as possible in a way that is hard to recover. People can become very overwhelmed and very concerned, scared when they get a call like that. I know a lot of times it is about maybe an electricity issue. And here we are in winter and you don't want your electricity shut off. When you get a call like that, your first instinct is to, oh, my gosh, we got to do something about it. Now, what do we do when we're in that panic mode? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to fight that instinct to want to solve the problem right away, especially, as you said, when it's something like a critical service in a critical time. But it is always a good idea to hang up, make sure that you are calling the actual company. So we always advise that you look up the phone number yourself and dial it yourself because there's technology out there that can make your caller ID appear like it's coming from your utility company or coming from your bank when in fact it's not at all. So we want to make sure that you're actually speaking to the right company. So even if you want to solve the problem right in that minute, You can hang up with the person that has called you, call the company directly, make sure that there is, in fact, a problem that needs to be solved. Some people would say, oh, I don't want to do that, Liz, because if I hang up, that would be rude. And I don't want to appear rude to somebody who's trying to help me. You know, it's a fair thought process, but any legitimate company is 
fully aware that there are a lot of scams out there, especially imposter scams, and they will understand that you're going to call back the company. There's no need to be rude. You don't have to just hang up on them. You can say, hey, look, thanks for calling me. I'm going to hang up with you and I'm going to call the company back directly um, to solve the problem. And that should also help you figure out if this is a scam, because if it was a legitimate company, they're not going to be panicked about you wanting to call the company back or try to force you to stay on the line. They're going to let you go and let you see that it's a real call from the real company. The whole idea of gift cards, you're going to go to the store and you're going to buy X amount of dollars worth of gift cards. Wouldn't it just be easier if I write you a check? So why do they go the gift card route? Because there's less paper trail and it's just, it's like turning over cash, quite frankly. So once you give over that that gift card or you give them that serial number, they're able to go right away and drain it and then it's gone. With a check, you know, there's a bank involved, you could claw it back. And they also then have to go and cash the check and go through a process of getting that money. And here's another one, cryptocurrency. That's so brand new. And many people have heard a lot of money there and it's going to build. And But there's also still a lot of the unknown. Absolutely. Again, we really advise that people treat new and innovative payment methods with a lot of caution. Make sure that you are only using uh, money that you could afford to lose in the case of cryptocurrency, where it's still much more an investment tool right now than a way of paying. But also, if you are being asked to use it as a payment method, make sure that you know who you're sending it to and that you have validated that it's for a real purpose. Because Cryptocurrency is also very much just like handing over cash. Once you hand it over, pretty much the only way you're going to get it back is if the person you send it to sends it back to you. Sometimes we get to the point where there is someone who unfortunately will do something that they're not supposed to do. And that can be embarrassing. But what should someone do? Just say, oh, well, I should have known better. Or are there avenues that they can travel? Absolutely. It's understandable to be a little bit embarrassed, but people shouldn't be. Everybody should know that these scams are happening all day, every day, and that you are certainly far from the only one. And that the next step you should take is to report it because it helps places like the FTC to follow what's going on in the country and to solve the problems at a bigger scale, but only if we know what's going on. And so we really encourage uh, anybody who has been the victim of a fraud to report it. And we have a consumer complaint website and it's at reportfraud.ftc.gov. And then you can also report it to your local police department and your state or local attorney general's office. When we're talking about the FTC, a lot of people will, again, get duped. People send out things and they look so real. Give that address one more time for the web, because if people notice, there's an identifier in there. That's right. It's reportfraud.ftc.gov. And that .gov is a really good way to identify that it is a valid government agency. What kind of information would you as the FTC be looking for? Do you ever, ever catch anybody? We do. And we make our biggest effort to make sure and try to get money back to consumers. But, you know, that always depends on how much money is left when we finally get to the fraudsters. I would say that in terms of information, we want every piece of detail that we could possibly get. So look up on your call log on your phone. What is the actual phone number that came through on that call? Tell us the date. Tell us the time. Tell us 
how you sent your money, you know, any names, any email addresses, just pretty much tell us everything you could possibly uh, find or remember. And it's never too much information for us because we could use every little bit of it to go and try to figure out who the fraudsters are. And if you are dealing with a bureau such as yours, you're dealing with nationwide, worldwide information that comes from everywhere. So are there other areas that the FTC can also be helpful besides just all of these scams that are growing every day? Well, we really have a robust educational component where there are consumer alerts you can sign up for, and you can do that by going to ftc.gov slash consumer alerts. And on there, you'll find all sorts of information about where we see the latest trends, where we're seeing a lot of fraud. Um, And as I said, you could sign up for alerts where it'll get delivered directly to your email, just so you can be aware and know, oh, right now, I'm going to start getting a lot of calls about IRS emergencies because it's tax season, that sort of thing. Yeah, we really make a big effort to, you know, share information to all sorts of communities that could be vulnerable to particular scams. Um, And so that's our other component that we spend a lot of time on. All right. And Liz, if I can ask you one more time, give us those websites, because, again, people like to know where they can go and look at the information. Absolutely. If you have been the victim of a fraud, please go and report it to reportfraud.ftc.gov. And you can also get educational alerts by going to ftc.gov slash consumer alert. Defeating the scammers with help from the Federal Trade Commission's Elizabeth Kwok. Now, don't go away. We're heading to camp next on Special Edition. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Special Edition. The supporters of Camp Archbald are getting ready to have another wonderful summer of fun. The Marketing and Communications Chair, Emily Loader, joins us. She has all the information, and if you're thinking about signing someone up, you better hurry. The spots are filling fast. Emily, it's hard to believe that it was two years ago that 
Camp Archibald may have not reopened again, but now here you are, another season coming up, and you're telling me that you already have campers ready to go? Yes, we do. Thanks for having me, Paula. I'm uh, Emily with supporters of Camp Archibald, and we're celebrating our sixth year running SOCA resident camp, an overnight camp in Susquehanna County. And with registration opening on January 15th, uh, we already have about 75% of our spots filled with girls who want to come to camp this summer. That's amazing. Well, it's not that amazing because when we hear about all the different things that you offer coming to camp, why wouldn't they want to be there? So you said registration is opened. Is there a cutoff for all that? Yes, our registration closes on June 1st of this year. And if you visit our website, supportersofcamparchball.org, and click the resident camp button, it gives you a rundown of resident camp and all your questions that you may have. This year, we're running camp from July 9th through the 14th and July 16th through the 21st. So you can take some time to read the information, all of the great programs that we have, and then registration closes on June 1st. Well, let's talk about some of those programs and the two different weeks of camp. Are there different times for different age groups or how does that work? Yes, we have uh, programs open for girls that are going into first grade all the way up through 12th grade. Uh, So depending on what age you are and what week you want to go, you can either go the first week or the second week or both. Um, You can check out the different programs that we have. Uh, So I'd love to highlight some of our programs for our younger girls. This is first, second, third grade. Uh, We have the Taste of Camp program, which is for girls who may not have been to camp before. Uh, They come for three days. Then they get a little bit of a taste. They do a little bit of swimming. They do some campfires. They do some songs and really just get that camp experience if they're not sure about coming for the full week. So that's a really great opportunity for girls first through third grade who would like to come to camp for just a little bit. And the other program I'd love to highlight is Splish Splash. Uh, It's July 16th through the 21st, and it's open for our second and third graders. And it's uh, looking for girls who are part mermaid, those girls who love being in the water, love to swim. Uh, We'll be doing some water games, uh, swimming in the lake, uh, boating, water experiments, uh, water races, uh, pretty much just all water that week. And if it's hot outside, then it'll definitely be an awesome time. That sounds like fun. And when we're talking about the, the two different weeks, you're mentioning different age groups. And I have to say, Emily, that the age groups are starting very young. So how do you introduce all of this, especially since for some of the younger campers, they may not have been away from home before? Yeah, we have. Uh, I, I actually went to camp when I was, was five years old. I was already in my Girl Scout troop at that time. And they said, why don't you try camp? And I said, okay. And uh, so some of our girls who haven't been to camp before, we offer that taste of camp where it's just a couple of days instead of a full week. Um, if they just want to get a, a little bit of learning what camp is and how it works. Um, and then as they get older, you know, they can come for longer amounts of time. Um, but based off of the ages, we try to offer um, lots of different types of programming per week, depending on all of the different interests of our girls. So we want to make sure that there's always something for everybody. And you mentioned the swimming. Are there other particular interests that you're also focusing in on for this upcoming season? 
most of our programs uh, for our older girls are almost full. There's a couple of spots uh, open. You know, we have some horseback riding programs that are available for our girls that are uh, fourth grade and older. Um, we have fun with fungi, which is another great nature program. Um, you'll be learning about the different types of fungi and edible plants and learning to forage food for your cookouts. So that's a really great outdoor program uh, happening first week of camp, July 9th through 14th for our uh, girls that are 10th grade and up. And you mentioned the fact that you started camp when you were five years old. So tell us a little bit about the history of Camp Archibald. Sure. Uh, Camp Archibald was uh, founded in 1920. So a couple of years ago, we celebrated our 100th anniversary. And uh, each year we have um, volunteers that come in uh, who are alumni who may have been going to the camp in the 60s or uh, the 80s and come back and help camp because they love everything that it has to offer. It's full of traditions. And um, a lot of the people that work at camp help to care for it, which is why it's been around for so long. It's the second oldest Girl Scout camp in the country. And again, a lot of people may not realize exactly that it is located being the second largest Girl Scout camp in the country right here in our backyard. Yes, it's uh, located in Kingsley. Uh, We used to have girls who would take the trolley or the bus from Scranton and then come to camp that way. Uh, So there's lots of different ways that girls were able to come to camp. Uh, And now, even though it's literally located right in our backyard, we have girls uh, from the East Coast, all up and down the East Coast from different states that come to camp because it's such a special place. And it's also not only available for the camping that you do, which is predominantly what you're really up there and your focus is on. But there are other ways that people can enjoy Camp Archibald too, aren't there? That's correct. Yeah, Camp Archibald is available to uh, both Girl Scouts and non-Girl Scouts to rent the facility. Um, We have a dining hall, we have a lake for usage, um, all sorts of different buildings um, that serve different purposes. So if people are looking to do like a, you know, a retreat for their business or for their church or looking for a place to get married or, you know, maybe take some senior pictures for, you know, um, students. Uh, Camp is a great place to be able to do that. Uh, It's owned and operated by Girl Scouts in the heart of Pennsylvania and uh, supporters of Camp Archibald, our volunteer uh, run group, um, works in conjunction with the council to help take care of the camp um, and help out with anything that we can do to um, maintain it and take care of it. Um, So like if people have questions about reservations or just want to know a little bit about the buildings or the camp, Um, you know, they can contact us and we would be happy to answer their questions for them. And are the camps that are happening, are they all for Girl Scouts? No, if you are not a Girl Scout, you can attend uh, as well. They're open to any girl between the ages of uh, or grades going into first grade uh, next year or uh, in the fall, uh, all the way up through 12th grade. And if you're past uh, 12th grade, then you can come and volunteer at camp. We're always looking for volunteers. Let's talk a little bit about those volunteers, because, again, you have so many different things, especially you're going to have all these mermaids in the water this summer. So <laughs> probably some some water loving um, volunteers would be, become very handy. 
absolutely. We have a, a need for all volunteers. Um, you have to be at least 18 years and older. You don't have to have any experience. You know, we'll kind of train you as you come to camp. And, you know, we need help in the uh, infirmary with our nursing staff. We need help with counselors who spend, um, you know, day-to-day uh, moments with the girls. We need help in administration. If you're a registered lifeguard or uh, have a certification for uh, ropes course, you know, we need people from all sorts of different backgrounds and certifications that um, can help with uh, different things. And if you can't dedicate uh, a full week or two weeks to be at camp, then we have lots of other things that happen prior to camp that we would love some help with. Uh, you know, grocery shopping, prepping paperwork, all sorts of good stuff. So if you want to give back in any capacity, uh, visit our website, supportersofcamparchwell.org, and you'll find out information about camp. And you can contact us via email at residentcamp 4 for Soka, S-O-C-A, at gmail.com. Well, I'll have you give us those one more time, but I'd like to just have you again highlight some of the things that are coming up. And again, people are already signing up. You said some of the, especially for the older girls, the uh, things are starting to close up quickly. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. What did we leave out? What would you like to highlight? It's all yours. Great. Thanks, Paula. So, again, this is Supporters of Camp Archibald, an overnight resident camp in Kingsley, Pennsylvania. And we're running resident camp from July 9th through the 14th and July 16th through the 21st. It's open to girls going into first grade all the way up through 12th grade. We have a variety of different programs open, but we have lots of spots available for girls that are in first, second, and third grade. You do not need to be a registered Girl Scout to attend. And if you're over 18, we'd love to have you volunteer. You can visit our website at supportersofcamparchbald.org or email us at residentcamp 4 SOCA at gmail.com. Thanks again to supporters of Camp Archbald Marketing and Communications Chair Emily Loader, and we certainly wish them great fun for the upcoming summer season. Now, don't go away. You could be a mentor, and we're going to tell you how on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. Think about those who helped you when you were first starting out. Those people were your mentors. Tim Wills is the Chief Impact Officer of Mentor. He tells us what mentoring involves, how to become a mentor, and where to find mentoring opportunities right here in our area. Tim, first of all, welcome. Nice to have you here. And we're going to talk about mentor. So in your case, exactly what is the program Mentor? Yeah, thanks, Paula. It's good to be with you today. You know, Mentor is the unifying champion for expanding the quality and quantity of mentoring relationships across the United States. Uh, we do that in collaboration with 24 affiliates, um, two affiliates in the state of Pennsylvania, one not that far from Scranton in the Independence region. Um, and we provide free resources, training, and technical assistance to mentoring programs. Uh, primarily through the National Mentoring Resource Center. And then we also um, connect volunteers directly with mentoring programs through the Mentoring Connector, which is the only national database of mentoring uh, programs and opportunities in the country. And I think a lot of people have heard of mentors and probably maybe even before 
rather than now because there was more community involvement in things such as schools and different programs outside of schools. So how does this particular mentor work? Yeah, so mentor, we found that when we think about the generations of mentoring, go back in time, um, our baby boomers generation only reported about half of those folks were in a mentoring relationship. Millennials, seven in 10 of them found that they were in a mentoring relationship. So a lot of growth in mentoring over the years, and a lot of that has to do with mentoring programs uh, throughout the state of Pennsylvania. And so there are opportunities for folks to be mentored, young people to be mentored, both in school and out of school and in workplaces. Depends on where they spend their their um, their time and energy. And so mentor um, works every day with mentoring programs in neighborhoods, in communities, to make sure they have a quality program that they're matching quality um, adults with young people and helping to support them um, on their success and their well-being. And what exactly are you looking at when it comes to the mentoring program itself? Because there are so many um, occupations that are diversified and for people who would want to become volunteers, are there certain groups that maybe you're kind of focusing in on than others when it comes to uh, different occupations? Yeah, I think it's really important for folks that to know that mentors come in a variety of ways into young people's lives uh, through formal mentoring programs. Uh, for instance, like our friends at the Big Brothers Big Sisters in the Independence Region, they offer structured one-on-one mentoring programs for young people with caring adults. And those adults come from a variety of walks of life, right? Just ordinary folks wanting to give back in their community. And then there's this whole thing around informal or everyday mentors in young people's lives, too. That's the uh, receptionist at the pediatrician's office or the barber or the folks that work at the neighborhood corner store. Like there are informal mentors that have a effect in young people's lives as well. We found that when both you have both a formal mentor and an informal mentor, uh, you just do better in life. And that web of supports really help boost your opportunities. And so um, we don't want folks to feel like this is a big lift or scary or too hard to do. You have something to offer to young people um, all across the state of Pennsylvania. How do you go about then matching the youth with mentors? Yeah, so we, we work with a mentoring, local mentoring program. Um, safety and matching are two really important components. So we're taking, in most cases, mentoring programs are taking an assessment of the young person and of that adult and trying to figure out what those commonalities are between them to make a stronger match. Because we want those matches alone to last as long as possible. The longer a young person has an adult in their life outside of their nucleus family, uh, they just do better. Um, and we know that for young people who've had a mentor, more than half of them credit the success they've had in life to that mentor. And so it's really important that those mentoring programs match uh, like individuals to have a lasting impact. What happens, Tim, if you're dealing with a youth in an area and you find out that one of the things that that particular youth is looking for is maybe to move on, um, especially when they're looking at high school, at college, at different things like that. Is there a way then to get in touch with other mentors across the country and say, I have someone here who's interested in moving to your area? Or is it just 
predominantly in one area. And then after that, because as you said, you hope that they will stay with them for a longer period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I think the power of mentor in our national network, um, our affiliates around the country and the thousands of mentoring programs that we work with throughout this country provides that opportunity for seamlessly moving um, to different areas. But the truth of the matter is that when a young person and an adult are matched as a mentoring relationship, um, they almost don't lose contact with each other regardless of where they live. And there's other means now in the post-COVID world virtual mentoring um, that they can still be in contact with. Um, So I think it's just really important to note that location isn't a barrier to a quality mentoring relationship. Um, You mentioned that in the post-COVID world, and you're absolutely right, because that's kind of what I was getting at in the very beginning, that so many things have changed from way back when, even just two, three years ago, when things were handled so differently. So if you have, if we have people who are listening right now and they're saying, well, I think that maybe I have some things to offer, how would people go about getting information in order to get maybe matched with someone? Yeah, I think every single adult um, in Scranton and throughout Pennsylvania have an opportunity to impact the life of a young person, especially when uh, some 44% of them are saying they feel persistently sad and hopelessness. Um, This is our moment as adults to step up and support this Gen Z generation. The easiest way to do that is to visit mentoring.org. That's mentoring.org. Sign up in the Mentoring Connector. Uh, and to find a mentoring program that's close to you. Um, They can also reach out to Mentor Independence Region um, out of the uh, Philadelphia area. Uh, They'll be more than happy to connect you also with mentoring programs um, in the Scranton area or the area surrounding that you may live, work, or play. And what about as far as youth are concerned? Are there certain ages that you're looking toward or not looking toward? And if someone is listening and they would like to say, I could use a mentor, how would they go about doing that? Absolutely. Um, They can definitely, again, reach out to Mentor Independence Region. They can connect young people with a mentoring program in their neighborhood um, that meets their needs because the mentoring programs vary. There may be, that young person may be interested in a mentor based on a career aspiration. Uh, A young person may be interested in a mentor just based on um, having a caring adult in their life. Um, Our mentor affiliates can connect you with the right mentoring program uh, to meet your needs. And Tim, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about this? And maybe again, you can give us that website information because the best way to find out is to ask the experts and that would be you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really important for folks to know that having a mentor, someone to talk to and to trust, is just really key for young people's success and well-being all throughout uh, the state of Pennsylvania, but also right there in Scranton. Um, and so I encourage them to sign up to be a mentor now more than ever. You can go to mentoring.org. That's mentoring.org to find out opportunities right there in Scranton. That's the Chief Impact Officer of Mentor, Tim Wills. I'm Paula Degnan. Thank you for joining me on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.